Hello and welcome to QBD Book Club, the podcast. Great to have your company. I'm Victoria Carthew. How simple is it to do a favour for someone? Can you grab me a carton of milk on the way home or let mum know that I'm going to be 10 minutes late? Well, if you pop that favour in the hands of the dynamic duo that is Nikki French, it turns out that favour isn't quite so simple at all. And that's what we're going to talk about today with their brand new book with thanks to Simon & Schuster, The Favour. Sean and Nikki, hello and thank you for joining me. No, good to be here. Really lovely to be here. Thank you for having us. And when I say here, we're chatting over Zoom, but you are almost in Australia because you're heading here and I know you're really excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's very dark and cold here in Britain and we're really looking forward to getting to some some sunshine. We've we've come to Australia a couple of times, but quite a long time ago now, and we loved it then. And we're, you know, we're really, really looking forward to being there. So we're almost start packing yeah and I, I take it from reading your acknowledgements at the back of the book that uh you are really excited because you're getting out and about because there's been so difficult past couple of years at least you had each other to work and to write with yes we did i mean we were lucky luckier than lots of people because anyway our normal life is working from home but yeah it's been it's been it does feel still weirdly as if we're still emerging from that strange life of being distrust distrusting being in crowds you know and uh Yeah, I mean, humans are social animals. I think in a way, one of the things I find most scary is that the kind of social isolation became normalised. So people became very used to being at home and being in their pyjamas and watching television instead of going out. And it's too easy. It's too easy to settle into that quite safe, quite cosy, quite isolated way of life. So I'm now now insisting that we just say yes to everything. (laughs) Also, it's all very well to say, of course, we know we, our life is sitting at home writing and being isolated. But there is something about what we, you know, the idea of coming over and just meeting readers, you know, because we went year, we went like a year and a half just not meeting any readers. And that it makes such a difference. Oh, I think you're, you're so right. It'll be so exciting to to have you here and to get out and meet your readers because as much as we were able to all keep in touch over that time, it is that you, your fans, I know you have so many around the world. You've sold so many millions of books. Of course, of course, everyone's trying to see you. And also for you and your ideas, I mean, meeting people and coming across real life people is how story ideas and, and real life stuff kind of germinates in your head and comes out on the pages. There's no substitute for that. And actually, that's the other thing. I'm sure was talking about how we can work in isolation. We kind of do, but actually that's using up our seed corn. You need things to kind of come into you as well as go out of you. You like, you know, it's kind of being in the world. And often our, our kind of ideas come out of the small daily experiences, kind of conversations that we have, the kind of what-if conversations that arise from being in the world. You can't just get it out of, we can't just kind of sit in our studies and think. Absolutely. We know that um, these days, co-writing and collaborating on books is quite commonplace. We see it on, on so many book titles on our shelves. But you two, in so many ways, were just ahead of your time, weren't you? Because it's 25-odd years <laughs> that you've been doing it. <laughs> we like to hear we were ahead of our time it's it's been years i mean it was just never planned but it's just because when nikki and i met we were both we were both journalists and uh and we just sort of had a vague conversation about well since we were both writing separately maybe one day we could tell a story together so it really just started as an experiment that turned out into something that we never imagined i mean thought we'd be here you know 25 years later, still as this Nikki French was n- never part of the plan. 
Isn't that lovely though? Because lots of people um, always say they could never work together with the, with their with their partner, but the fact that you do it and you get to create stories together and come to Australia together. Although I, mean, I have to yeah. say, I should have a little proviso that if you are sitting there and you're in your relationship and it's a bit wobbly, don't try and solve it by writing a novel together because <laughs> it's because it, you know write, writing is hard and collaborate writing in collaboration is there are lots of pressures and it's you know there it's a you know you're really kind of probing each other all the time and testing each other and it's not for everyone. And in a way, we have we really have one rule about writing together which is that we have to trust each other yeah. i mean that we have that it's 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 very kind of vulnerable and exposing really so we write by sharing it between us one person writes and passes it to the other who edits and then writes the next section and that's how we proceed um and it's quite a painful thing you write something you send it to someone else and they're allowed to change it and edit it and erase it if they like and then and then you're allowed to do it back to them obviously but so we can only we can only do that kind of strange procedure if we know <laughs> if, if we trust each other if we know there's not a power struggle if we know we're both doing it in the service of Nikki French if we know that it's okay to kind of try something that's foolish to look ridiculous to kind of to fail in front of each other and that's a very kind of intimate absolutely intimate what a wonderful description intimate. what a wonderful <laughs> description of how you do it and what you do so are there moments when you're out together and you might see the other and think oh they've had an idea or so they've something's come to them because you just know each other so intimately in terms of a story coming well, it's completely part of our relationship now. So we, I mean, we are just always, so you know, we're just always you know, in situations all the time. We'll like turn to each other and say, do you know, there's something there. You'll, you'll meet someone, some, and there'll be something interesting about them. And think, do you know, we could, they, they work in a book sometime. And but I think it's like a little valve at the front of our brain. It's always saying, like, could we make, could we make use of it? And we're very, we're quite ruthless about taking bits of our lives and, and, and you, and it's really, you know, and so it's not more like, I mean, I think our method is not so much like reading about a murder in the newspaper and sort of oh we'll do that it's more like something we talk about in our life or someone we meet or some so or something we that won't something that nags at us and won't let us go and we take that something in, in an ordinary life some problem and then we just turn the dial a few notches and it becomes a, a psychological thriller Yes, and it's never, never oh, sorry, go on. No, you're also saying the favour is the 16th standalone, but you've also had a successful series. So when do you decide it's time for a standalone, it's time for a series? How, is that something you both kind of just know? We didn't, we didn't just know. So we always thought we were going to write, that's what we did, we wrote standalones because we, we've never written police procedurals. We've never, so there's, we've never written in a form where you can have a repeating character and we've never wanted to write, I mean, we like reading them, but we don't want to write them. We want to write about yeah. kind of extraordinary things that happen to ordinary people and how people's lives can unravel. And then after um, our eighth, was it eighth or track? Anyway, after our final, the final standalone before the series, we started thinking about a character called Frida Klein, who was a psychotherapist who did not want to be in a crime novel but is kind of dragged into it by events and we had this idea of a character who was very secretive a bit damaged very secretive but very good at unearthing other people's secrets like a detective of the mind and once we started talking about her we thought she just needs more than a single novel to disclose herself to us so then we decided she needed eight novels <laughs> 
So we worked. So we had. So we had a stand. We had a series that, from the very beginning, we always knew was going to be eight novels with one story connecting eight separate stories together. So we always knew it was going to come to an end, and then, and then we've returned to standalones, and we will only return to series once we once there's a reason for doing so. Once we can find a Nicky French reason for doing so. I love it because you start with a really simple idea, as I said off the top, a favour, and then you kind of give it wings because it's a it's a simple premise, but you took the favour to a very very next level. Well, that's a, I mean that's a classic example of the way we work. So we actually for years we Nikki we just had this idea of if there's someone who's helped you done a really big thing for you in the past and you owe them and they come to you and say can you do something for me? Do you have to just say yes? whatever it is and we sort of and we really it wasn't it wasn't a discussion about a a story it was just that problem that moral problem if you owe someone do you just have to do it whatever and we we came back and forth and we actually disagreed about that actually it was because we disagreed that we knew we had to write a book about it it was because there was no kind of clear answer to that it needed exploring so and we carried that that idea around as Sean says for for many years and we couldn't find the story and then eventually we 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 thought about Jude who's this um young woman who's got her life sort you know you 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 see her at the start of the book and her life is very sorted and controlled she's on track you know she's a young doctor she's engaged to be married they're about to buy a flat together she's got a good circle of friends everything is laid out in front of her in a very kind of pleasant way and then into her life comes this man from her past her her first love the person who just kind of derailed her entire life by by being in love with her and he asks her for a favor and and she she and she just immediately says yes. And because this is a Nicky French novel, that's a very bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> the way that's kind of, I mean, there's a double thing in this story, which is both, you know, how this thing just get gets out of hand. This, you know, what starts as a simple favour just becomes more. She gets sucked into something. She's just not. And then also, I think one of the things the reader was is asking should be asking is. Why is she doing this? You know why? You know why? You know why she doesn't say no? And that, in a way, we want those are the two things that this that this story. And but you know, and, we, and that's what think, gave me anxiety all the way through because you just constantly are saying why she had a great yeah. life. Why? But that's what you do so beautifully throughout is you give us little pieces along the way about perhaps why she might do it, and you just give us enough to think, oh, you're silly, but and it's a it, you challenge yourself the whole way through. Well, I think one of the things we always want to do is we don't have people. Actually, the, the, we, there's a big exception, as when Nick was saying with our series, Frida Klein was a different. She was someone, she was one character we think who we created who's like much cleverer than we are and much more capable. And, you know, <laughs> but both the, 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 when we, the normal characters we write about are books are people just like us. And we're interested in, the, so they don't have superpowers, they're not Sherlock Holmes. And so we hope that when people, the readers think, how would I, what would I do in, in this situation, you know, and and they t- often make kind of terrible decisions or, you know, or, or, you know, but maybe it's a bad decisions we'd all make when when we're and, in it, when we suddenly life changes. And know? also they're often forced to be kinds of amateur detectives. Yeah. But I mean, Jude is a terribly bad amateur detective. <laughs> you know, she gets people all the time. And, and actually we often say that about our characters is that, 
you know, in, in there are certain detective novels you read where people know they're in detective novels, whereas we take characters and they don't know that they're in a kind of crime novel at the beginning. They don't, and they really, really don't want to be there either. They want to be in a rom-com. They're in the kind of rock. So we take a genre and then we slightly try and twist it. It's that time of year. Our catalogue is out now for the mums and the other great women in your life. A book absolutely is the gift that keeps on giving. It gives that woman in your life, your mum, your grandma, your carer, time out. I reckon they've earned it. So take a look at the QBD Mother's Day catalogue out now. Oh, you've absolutely done that with this because I think I thought I was going to be having this real crime thriller, but it became something quite different. It's so character driven um, and it's so, I, yeah, the, the people, I keep wondering, did you go to a, a, a gypsy camp or how did you investigate and work out these amazing characters? Because uh, Jude comes in contact with a house full of people that are very, very unusual. Hmm. Well, in a way, one of the things we want it to be, because, we, we, you know, for us, I mean, the thriller bit is always really important and we want that to have to want it always to work as a thriller. But we want it to feel that there's something else people feel there's, you know, it's grounded in kind of real emotions. And this is, a, I suppose, we're trying to capture this feeling of people who they kind of look back on their, you know, they, they you know, they've become. Um, they're just she's just at the age where she's like becoming respectable she's becoming a grown-up often have a sort of regret for when they were younger and a bit crazy and they could do wild things and then sometimes you look at other people and you and you feel a bit of envy for you know people who are a bit dangerous and a bit you know so i think uh, judy's slightly attracted to this group of actually terrible people in many ways but but because she thinks they're living a kind of life she's too cowardly to live so we want to sort of show that sort of and we, we did like being like a moth being attracted to a flame or something that she and she gets sucked more and more into yeah it. we did have the idea of this house that you're talking about is house in the east of london with a kind of collection of kind of rather beautiful wild bohemian people and we wanted to make it a little bit gothic as well a little bit like a, a fairy tale so she gets pulled into this strange house and she almost she almost literally cannot leave it. She's just, she's there in this kind of fairy tale atmosphere of a house that's kind of both in the world and yet slightly spooky and different from the world. Do you know that is such a great description and I won't give away where or how this happens in the book, but there is a, a moment in the book where she does try to leave the house and six, seven, eight, nine times to leave the home and she keeps getting drawn back in. <laughs> And you can actually, you felt like you were on a bit of a whirly-gurg with her, you know, if you are on this merry-go-round, you couldn't get off because you could see how and why once you've stepped yourself sometimes into the wrong side of life that that could happen to you. Yeah. Yes. yes and, and actually that was the other thing that, you know, you make one decision, but it's not just one decision. It's like you've kind of taken a step and you're suddenly, you've fallen into the river and the river is carrying you along and you can't get out of it. And so it's kind of what is, so part of the kind of source of the book was like that one misstep creates a whole kind of catalogue of missteps. And I think that's very true of a lot of people's lives. You know, it, it's, it's, we all like to think like Jude thinks that we're in control 
of our lives, that we're on safe ground, that we know what's going to happen. And we don't, we don't. It's a kind, you know, one thing can go wrong and you fall through the, the, the thin ice and you're in waters that you don't understand and you don't know how to get out of. I mean, that's one thing I really think that Nikki and I share. Uh, I mean, we're different in so many ways and our imaginations are different. But I think we one of our the places where we meet is that idea of how fragile life is. And we just, you know, we're all, we're, always in our life we're we're kind of one decision away or one bit of bad luck away from everything just changing and that and it's that that's what fascinates us i think that moment and and part of you is is how do you deal with that you know and we don't really i think we've explored that in quite a few of our books about that's how you find out who you are maybe by you know because in our you know you can go in your normal life and you're not being tested and you're a bit you know you're in a routine but when some suddenly everything is different, you know, then you then you find out who who survives and who drowns, you know. Absolutely, I've, I think um, of late I've read quite a lot of procedural, you know, very much you know, nitty gritty of what the police are doing. In your story, Layla Fox, our police officer, is she's almost like the conscience, you know, solving the crime is kind of in the background, but she's sort of the, almost like a conscience in the book where she pops in every now and then when you really need her to tell us where things are going. It was a really interesting way to play a police person. And also just to be aghast at what at what Jude is doing. We also, I mean, I, would, I don't, it's not, this is, I would say that The Favour is very far from being a comic book, but there's a kind of comedy in the way that she, that every time she, that Jude meets a policewoman, she's just doing something terrible. And it's just, it's like almost like a farce. She's being caught out by, you know, getting, I mean, really basically, getting involved in something she absolutely shouldn't be doing you know and, and I think Layla Fox keeps <laughs> keeps witnessing this and I felt like you could almost imagine what Layla Fox would look like and how her face would be because as you say she only came in every now and then but it was always like when she was really needed and very much kind of yeah we know we're doing that and so you you, you get this sense that the 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 crime and the solving of the crime is happening around you but you're too busy looking at the characters and what's going on underneath <laughs> That's well, actually that's a great thing because also I mean actually Layla Fox was quite in some ways quite different for us because we've often had detectives who are getting it very wrong and Layla Fox is getting it right and it's Jude who's getting it very wrong. But anyway, one of the things in the kind of thrillers we write, which are the thrillers about ordinary people, you know, where sort of thing, is because we're always having to think about what's how's the reader responding at this point, and one of the big questions often is. Why didn't they call the police? You know, or that, you know, and, and or, or or what are the police doing? You know, and, and so and I think we like to kind of play with that. That some, you know, with you know, you know, in some, we've written different stories where sometimes the police aren't involved at all, or sometimes the police are involved and in getting it completely wrong. And you know, something can be a murder, and they, the police don't believe it's a murder. That that sort of story. And this kind of case is, and you know, there, we have written stories where where this or the ordinary person becomes a kind of detective. You know, but in this in this case, Jude is a sort of. A slightly disastrous version of a detective kind of yeah interweaving with the police you know. and I, I did like that she did call the police sometimes exactly what you're saying <laughs> that every now and then yeah. you're like just tell somebody because you're going to get into trouble well of course one of the things is is um i don't know how people uh, over there in australia how you whether you've been following this but we're certainly in britain we're brought up in a tradition of you know if, if you're you know if you want to know where to go ask a policeman if you're in trouble ask a police but actually it's certainly we spend a lot of our time in london and there are we have problem. We have terrible, terrible problems with our police. Both, you know, 
both both in that they're in, that they're incompetent, but also that there are a lot of them are actually criminals themselves. So, uh, so we, you know, we're, so in a way, I think we're in an interesting time where people's the kind of traditional trust in the police, you know, if it ever was there, has really is very, very you know. So and that interests us as well. Is that you know the police, you know how much can you not in this book is different but um, i think that's that's also very true because we're seeing overseas influences in terms of the us and what's going on so we are we don't just view what's happening around in, in our neighborhood we're looking at what's happening happening globally so you're right that kind of sense of trust and what you do we all have different perspectives on it now yeah yeah also i mean it's not i think that you know nikki french to speak about us in the <laughs> in the collective form um we have a kind of sense that the, the trust in almost every kind of traditional authority figure has become less, has become more fragile. So, you know, the, the, the trust in the police, the trust in God, the trust in your doctors, you know, we're much, we're, we, we have far less faith yeah. in, in the old version of authority, which means that you're thrown back on yourself, that it's left to your, you know, you yourself have to kind of work out how to live your life and what's happening and how to be happy and there's no one to go to in the end except yourself also we tend to be interested in the sort of story uh we, we all we've almost always written with uh, women as the main characters and the and partly making uh, trying to address or explore the kind of kind of real vulnerability i think strange to man talking about the vulnerability of women but anyway uh but uh, uh and one of the things is kind of real obviously a traditional thing in the past where you have a woman at the center and in the end a man will come in and rescue her in some way you know who she'll then fall in love with or a male policeman and we one thing we 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 on the whole we're not interested in the women being rescued it you know it is a feeling that in in the end even in this case without giving anything away you have the, about people who have they have to face the challenge of rescuing themselves you know are you going to what price are you willing to pay to survive you know and that's that's always something that that we are very gripped by and that's that's so interesting because Jude, as you say, had, she had this kind of sensible, lovely life mapped in front of her, and then she diverts for whatever it evens to make to make and do some favors. But um, you, you found yourself cheering for her, even when she was making missteps, and you're wondering why on earth she was doing what she was doing. You were still cheering for her because you knew there was this underlying good person there, and all you wanted her to do was get her way out. And it was a really that was a real kind of strong undertow in the book. Was you just were cheering for her? Well, well I think she glowed. That's good to know. I mean. You know, we all know people who've blown up their lives disastrously <laughs> and walked out on really good relationships or whatever for because for for terrible reasons. But in the, in this case, you know, I think she does blow up her life. But maybe at the end, her life should be blown up. You know, maybe she feels a better. You know, at the end of it, uh, she knows more about who she is and knows more about what her actual life was. You know, uh, I mean, it's a bit. You know, it's a bittersweet. <laughs> to say the least way of finding it out but still yeah and you said um how you, you do kind of write about ordinary people and ordinary lives i thought the way you dealt with the different family dramas and interactions was really interesting because you know jude to look him you know turning to a folks and to a brother and then liam's family i mean it's it's quite interesting the different dynamics and then what family is because they'd found different families away from their own families and you really explored all of those things and what can go right or wrong well, one, uh, one of the things we feel, you know, people say about, oh, where do your ideas come from? And we always think if you if you live in a family, you'll have a lifetime subject for psychological thrillers. Because <laughs> we feel is, 
all even the most perfect family has its secrets everyone has the every, you know i think often if you look at someone else's family you think well they're all right that's probably because you just don't know them well enough you know because everyone has their vulnerabilities yeah nobody's just all right and i mean in families it's like all this dry tinder of the past lying under every interaction isn't it and and you know families kind of closeness and love is very close to kind of hatred and murderous feelings i mean we often think there's no you know the word normal is too overused isn't it nobody's normal everybody's going around you know you, we present ourselves to the world as being kind of normal but actually everybody has a kind of maelstrom of of kind of anger and doubt and fear and the kind of uncertainty and jealousy inside themselves and we just manage to keep it at bay most of the time and act like civilized beings and one of the things a psychological thriller can do is it just kind of breaks the surface of that and suddenly you see the kind of innards of people which we all we know we and which everyone can recognize because everyone knows what they carry around inside themselves I mean, i'm sure I, i'm sure everyone listening to this you could just stop and think when you get together with your family there's something you don't talk about what is that you know I'm sure everyone has it and that's what you want to have it absolutely everybody has it and i'm wondering now 